You're listening to Infertility Bites. It's a catharsis podcast. Infertility bites, but it bites a bit less when you're not alone. My name is Casey, and I'm blessed to be joined by my co-captain in this journey, my wife, Sarah. Hello. On this series, we're going to talk about our experiences dealing with infertility. It's important to note, however, that we are not doctors or even experts, just people that understand how difficult it can be. Each person's journey is unique, so like a fingerprint, so it's best to leave all the medicine and all that up to the professionals. Uh, Last episode, we talked about costs, how they can add up depending on what your journey requires. Make sure to, if you haven't, to check out that episode and to let us know how the costs differ in other locations like your neck of the woods. This episode, though, is going to be a bit emotional. Um, So trigger warning on that. Um, We're going to talk about why we advocate not waiting to start treatments. So... Sarah and I got married in 2008. And when we first got married, we thought, hey, we're fresh married. Let's not rush into being parents yet. Let's have some time just to ourselves. Let's just enjoy that. While we dated, we both knew we wanted kids, but we also just wanted to enjoy being newly married. Mm -hmm. So we took about two years or so um, and, you know, didn't try. I mean... We, we didn't not try, but we didn't try, you know. Um, it wasn't until about two years in, two to three years in, so putting it about 2001, or, excuse me, 2011, or uh, Back moving time. backwards in time, 2011 or so, that we decided to start trying. And then, of course, with any infertility journey, it's usually about a year before any of the doctors will really start worrying about anything, really start caring. Um, So that puts it at about 2012. We start talking to doctors at that point, and they're like, oh, well, let's try this, let's try that. We've talked a bit about this before. Um, How most of the stuff that they had us try was ineffective uh and and kind of a waste of our time really and after a year of that we should have went and said hey let's go talk to a specialist but we didn't and we didn't for a lot of reasons we didn't because we were like well we'd like to be in a better financial situation yeah, before say, we money was a lot of it before we start doing this or we we'd like to be more secure in our jobs before we start doing this or you know we we always wanted to move to Omaha where we now live <laughs> um so maybe we'll wait until we move to Omaha before we start doing this or you know maybe maybe I'll get a promotion and we'll start doing this or pay down the house or whatever there were always a lot of what ifs that waited um and it wasn't really until about uh 2017 or so 2000 late 2016 that we really said you know let's let's get serious and and try for this let's do this um so that's you know six seven six years of trying before we actually talked to a specialist well 
in that time, situations can change drastically amongst families and amongst uh, people just in general. One of the things that happened during that time was the unfortunate passing of my wife's grandma, who she was very, very close to. Um, and so this, this person that we wanted to be a part of our child's life, no longer with us, right? And, and it hurts. It hurts us often. We think about how much little Stella is missing by not having great grandma Betty. Um, And it's, it's tough. And you you might hear me talking a little bit more uh, in this than, than Sarah, because dear sweet Sarah is very emotional, and this is, hits her hard. Um, when we finally did end up going to the doctor, the, the RE here in Omaha, uh, Dr. Delaney at Methodist Women's Health, and started on a plan and eventually we're able to get through IVF and we've talked about a lot of that stuff already um when we found out she was pregnant it was right around her birthday in 2017 and um of course like we said it was already too late for for uh us to have any idea of granny being a part of of Stella's life um but by this point, my own father, who'd been battling Parkinson's for, at that point, 13 years, started to take some turns for the worse. So here we were, we, we were finally pregnant with, with the child that we'd wanted for so long. And we've talked about how, you know, the worry continues during that. Well, one of the worries that was always in my mind through this was, will my dad still be around? And fortunately enough, my dad was still around when Stella was born. Yeah. Um, and so he was, he was one of the first people to see her um, in the he hospital. He was the first person besides us to hold mm-hmm. her. Yep. First person to hold her. We have pictures of it we we, he he loved her so very much um but just about six months later things took a big turn to the worst for him and um in september of that year he passed september 2018 um uh and I was at the at his bedside when he passed. And uh we were taking turns being with him. He was basically unresponsive at the time. Um we knew it was coming. It was a very fast downward turn, but we knew it was coming. And so I have Stella sitting on my lap. She's about 6 months old. And uh my mom had to step out of the room with some of her um, sisters and 
and some uncles and stuff like that that had come to visit to talk to them and talk to the doctors a bit. And so I have Stella sitting on my lap right next to the bed that my dad's laying in. And again, he's basically unresponsive. He hasn't said a word since in like the last day or so. Um, and, and Stella starts doing the little thing you see babies do when they're at the side of a bed or a table where they start patting on it with their hands and everything. And I swear, my dad said, Stella. And it was the last words that we heard from him. And I was the only one who heard it. So it could have been all in my head. But to me, that's a memory I'll always have. But it makes me angry because we wasted six years with all of these doctors who poo-pooed infertility and said oh just try this just try basal body temperature just try yeah uh try these ovulation tests try all this try all that um and it took six years before we finally found a doctor who said you know you need to talk to a specialist i you're past what i can do and that's that's six years that stella could have had with with her grandpa Six years that she could have had, well, four years she could have had with great granny. Yeah, I, you know, like for me, and I mean, Casey knows this, I only grew up with granny. I didn't have any other grandparents. So for me, it was, granny moved to Carney when I was one. So, I mean, literally (laughs) she was there. All my memories are with her. I mean, she was always involved. So for me, it was super important for our our child to have as many grandparents as possible because I didn't have it. And I mean, I was lucky enough to have granny. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I just, I look at Stella and I just think, oh God, granny would have just been so thrilled to see her. So yeah, I just get angry. So... So that plays a big part into why we advocate for starting treatments as early as possible. When you feel you're ready to have a baby and you've given it enough time trying the natural way, start fighting for yourself. Because every one of those days that passes between... You wanting to have a baby and you doing everything it's possible to have that baby is a day you can't get back. But it goes even deeper than just Granny and my dad. Uh, We had all sorts of plans that we wanted to happen. I had cousins near my age and Sarah didn't. And we really liked the idea of... Well, I've I've seen your family and how Mm close-knit they are. But you did. You had so many cousins, and they were all so closely related. And I'm thinking, my first cousins, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, they were there close to getting their 50s. Mm-hmm. So I was, my second cousins were a little younger than me. And mind you, they didn't even live in this anywhere near in the states I lived in. So, I mean. So, so we had important. all these, these goals to 
try to have Stella where she could have cousins. Of course, we didn't know it was going to be Stella, of course, you know. But to have a, a baby, have our baby where, where she could have cousins near their near her age, near their age. So Sarah's sister had had a daughter uh, and Sarah's brother shortly thereafter had a son. Like literally two months later. Yeah. And and then a few years later, two years later, Sarah's brother had another a, a daughter. So there are three cousins there. And they've got, they've done a whole, I mean, granted, we still all live different states, mm-hmm. but for them being different in states, they, they always made an effort to get together yep. and still, mm-hmm. you know. And so we were like, okay, come on, let's, let's have this kid. So, so it can be somewhere near that. I mean, maybe a few years younger or whatever. Um, maybe right around the, the Sarah's brother's daughter's age, a little bit younger than that. That's fine. And it kept not happening and not happening. And they got older and older and older than, than our daughter would end up being. And your sister's daughter is what? 10 now? Just turned 10? Just turned 10. And and so she's seven years older than than our daughter, and that's a significant difference. Plus, add to that, at the time when we first started trying to have a kid, Sarah's sister lived here in Omaha. And we had goals to move to Omaha so we could be closer to Sarah's family. I've got a brother who lives here. His Kids are all like one's in college, one will be graduating in a year, I think. Um, so older, but we were like, we could move to Omaha and then and then Stella will be able to see her cousin often. And right after we started the process, started the process and got into it and got to the point where we were pretty, I think, I we, I think. We had confirmed we were pregnant mm-hmm. because it was early on into it. And I, I remember yeah. thinking, I can't cry too much that they're moving because mm-hmm. I'm in the early yeah. process of being pregnant. So we're, we're just pregnant and just excited about this. And we get notified that um, Sarah's brother-in-law uh, got a job in a church, um, which they'd worked in churches you know, that's that was their vocation, right? But he got a job in a church down in Florida and moving far, far away. So because we waited, because we didn't start the process as soon as we wanted to, we missed the chance for Stella to grow up next to a cousin near her age. And and these are all little things that that are always going to make us angry about the weight, about all of the little things that yeah. you know doctors told us. You know, we had a doctor said real infertility is rare. We just need to figure out what little kick you need to get you in the right way. Um, we had doctors who. who would make jokes about well it's it's all the practicing that's really fun 
And what we needed is after a year of trying, we needed a doctor to say, well, geez, this looks more serious than what I can do. Let's get you to a specialist. But they didn't. And a part of the anger has to be on our own selves because we didn't, we didn't ask for a specialist. We, we didn't advocate for ourselves. We assumed the doctors knew what they were doing and, and were able, going to be able to figure something out. And they didn't and didn't and didn't. And rather than them saying, well, I don't know what's going on. Let's get you with the specialist. They just kept throwing spaghetti at the wall to see if it sticks. And I always felt, I mean, going back to the doctors a little bit, I always felt that because of our ages. Because granted, when we started, when we really were like, yeah, I was 25, turning 26. Yeah, I have to do math. So you're in your early 30s. But I always felt like they were like, oh, you're too young to have this problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it, and I was, yeah, like we said, I should have stood up and be like, it doesn't matter if we want kids now. Then if we've been trying for two years and nothing's happening, it doesn't matter that I'm 26, 27 or whatever. It, that, I mean, I always felt like that was, they were like, oh, you're too young. Like you, you're, you've got plenty of time, but you know, then it comes to the fact that little things, you know, I mean, I am so glad that my sister's daughter and my brother's kids got to know granny even for what little bit it was. But I will always feel like it's just missing. Mm-hmm. And, and Vince, you know, he, he should have been here longer. So, so we'll always have that anger. And I don't want you to have that anger. You can't control what happens to the other people in your life, the people that you love in your life. Uh, if they're getting older, they're battling illnesses, or if they've got jobs that'll move them away. You can't control that. But you can advocate for yourself and try to control having the kid when you want it. And I know we we were super lucky that we didn't require years and years and years of expensive IVF treatments and failures that we were extremely lucky at that. And, and a lot of you listening to this aren't going to be that lucky, but that's all the more reason that you need to start trying and start doing everything you can now because you, you don't get these days back. So, so because I talked a little bit about my dad, and because this is a lot about not waiting, I thought it was um, would be kind of fitting to include something that my dad was a big fan of. Um, my dad really, really loved this. It's really an essay, but some places call it a poem uh, by Robert Hastings. Uh, my dad was a photographer. And he would put together slideshows that were multimedia, music, and image, and, and him talking about things. And he um, he did a, a slideshow based off this. And he kind of lived his life based off this. And um, they even played the slideshow at his funeral. And um, it was kind of the eureka moment for me that... that made me decide 
that first opportunity we get, we were moving to Omaha, whether it was the best option or most ideal option at the time, because we always wanted to come here and things were always in the way. (laughs) We had my dad battling his illness. We had granny battling her illnesses. We had the house and we had jobs and Carney. We had all this stuff and things never, never lined up and we kept putting things off. Well, this poem, this essay by Robert Hastings, it's called The Station. And I figured um, this would be a good place for me to read it. Uh, Bear with me, though. I can't guarantee I will read it in one continuous take because it is emotional for me. Um, And I'm not nearly as eloquent as my dad is, so um, I'll never live up to that, but... The Station by Robert Hastings Tucked away in our subconscious minds is an idyllic vision. We see ourselves on a long, long trip that almost spans the continent. We're traveling by passenger train, and out the windows we drink in the passing scenes of cars on nearby highways, of children's waving at a crossing, of cattle grazing on a distant hillside, of smoke pouring in from a power plant, of row upon row of corn and wheat, of flatlands and valleys, of mountains and rolling hills, of biting winter and blazing summer and cavorting spring and docile fall. But uppermost in our minds is the final destination. On a certain day, at a certain hour, we will pull into the station. There will be bands playing and flags waving, and once we get there, so many wonderful dreams will come true. So many wishes will be fulfilled, and so many pieces of our lives finally will be neatly fitted together like a completed jigsaw puzzle. How restlessly we pace the aisles, damning the minutes for loitering, waiting, waiting, waiting for the station. However, sooner or later we must realize there is no one station, no one place to arrive at once and for all. The true joy of life is the trip. The station is only a dream, it constantly outdistances us. When we reach the station, that will be it, we cry. Translated, it means, when I'm 18, that will be it. When I buy that new 450 SL Mercedes Benz, that will be it. When I put the last kid through college, that will be it. When I've paid off the mortgage, that will be it. When I win a promotion, that will be it. When I reach the age of retirement, that will be it. I shall live happily ever after. Unfortunately, once we get it, then it disappears. The station somehow hides itself at the end of an endless track. Relish the moment is a good motto, especially when coupled with Psalms 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It isn't the burdens of today that drive men mad. Rather, it's regret over yesterday or fear of tomorrow. Regret and fear are twin thieves who would rob us of today. So stop pacing the aisles and counting the miles. Instead, climb more mountains. Eat more ice cream. Go barefoot oftener. Swim more rivers. Watch more sunsets. Laugh more and cry less. Life must be lived as we go along. The station will come soon enough.
So, so that's why when you hear us talk about doing everything you can right now, that's where we come from. We come from people that while we're blessed to have a beautiful, beautiful now three-year-old daughter, we missed out on so many chances because we were waiting for a station. We were waiting for us to get the promotion at our job. So before, when I get the promotion, then we'll be able to try for a baby more. When, when I get a better job, that will be the time when we can start our fertility treatments. When we pay down the mortgage a bit more, then we can start fertility treatments. When we get our taxes back, then we'll be able to start fertility treatment. We kept waiting for a station rather than doing what we needed to in the moment. And we don't want anyone else no. to, to sit there and think, Pop-Pop would have loved to see this baby, but he can't. Nana would have loved to see this baby, but she can't. It would be nice if, if our baby had a cousin her age, but they don't. Boy, I'd love to raise this baby in this town we really want to live in, but we can't. Don't wait. Every day I see a post on one of the Facebook groups that I'm a member of or on Twitter of someone talking about infertility. And almost every day there's at least one that says, we can't afford to do it right now, but I'm getting prepared for later. We're not ready to start now but I want to know what to expect when it happens. We haven't been trying quite yet for a year yet, so maybe we won't need it, but I want to know. Don't wait. No. Talk to an RE. I'll see posts that are saying, hey, my, my OBGYN wants me to do this. I haven't talked to an infertility specialist, but I'm thinking this. They don't know what's going on. Should I talk to an RE? Yes. If you think that you are past the point that your doctors, your regular doctors can help you, yes, talk to an RE. And and we're we're 100% happy to recommend. We cannot recommend her any more uh, than we do. Dr. Delaney at Methodist Women's Health. We hear good things about Dr. Doherty at Methodist. Yeah. We hear good things about Dr. Oaks at Methodist. And, I mean, personally, I know I had to call a couple times just about the most random questions. And the ladies that answered the phones, <laughs> they were super nice. And I'd be like, this is probably a dumb question or something. And they're like, no, there's no dumb questions. Don't worry. Their whole job is to make it, to put you at ease because they understand that this is a very stressful thing. And so, I mean, they answered 
every question I ever, I mean, literally I would just call up. I'd be like, I don't know about this. I should just see what they say I should do or how to go about it. And they would just be so helpful. They never rushed me off the phone, um, which I can tell you when I was in Kearney, I had not the best experience at my, you know, the place we were going. So when I would call about things. So I'm just saying that is important because, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be able to trust where you're going. But as much faith and, and recommendation as we give to Methodist Women's Health, I see the same number for Heartland Heart, Fertility yeah. here in Omaha. I see uh, a fair amount of people talking about um, uh, Pope Paul. I see a fair number of people talking about going to to Colorado, Denver. Yeah. There's a fertility clinic there. I see people talking about flying to New York to do fertility treatments there. Whatever works for you, do it. But just start doing it. Don't wait. Because you can't get those days back. You just can't. And I know I will forever be angry at myself and at the doctors and at time. Because my daughter does not get to know her grandma. Yeah. On that note, we'll we'll wrap things up today. Um, we don't have a story to share. I mentioned on the last episode that we've run out of stories from our listeners. And this show really only works when listeners submit their stories. So no matter where you are in your journey, whether you just now are starting to see a fertility specialist or whether you've been doing it for years, whether you've already got your your miracle baby or you're still trying for it, we want to know your stories. You can go to our Facebook page or our Twitter or you can email us infertilitybytespodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can send us your stories uh, that way you can uh, email us and we'll send you a link to the Google Docs that uh, you can fill out to help us tell it better. If you know a friend or a family member who's who's in the process of this, let them know that they can tell their story here. We're happy to do it anonymous. Yeah. We do think it's for the best for most people if they stop being anonymous and start being open about it. But if you want to be anonymous, we're welcome to do that. Um, but I know our listeners out there would love to hear more stories other than ours. And that's really what this podcast is about. Is not just us telling our side of things, but you getting your story out there letting people know that infertility isn't as rare as people think that infertility isn't something to be talked about in hushed circles and and whispered amongst people so the links are all going to be in the show doobly-doos um for it for our facebook or twitter um the email address um, the Google Docs is going to be right in there. Um, just click on that, fill it out, and let us know. We'd love to tell your story. If you are enjoying this show, although I can't imagine too many people are enjoying this episode, because 
It is a bummer. Um, But if you are enjoying our show, a review on whatever platform you listen to, it would be great. They really help other people find this show. And if you're comfortable sharing this on your social media, if other people already know what you're going through and, and you're open about it, share this episode or any of our episodes on your social media um, so other people can find us that way. That's very much appreciated. Um, but for now, we're going to wrap things up for this week. I always say, may your dreams of tiny feet be answered soon. Thanks for listening. And as always, we're going to let our little scientific miracle send us off with loves and kisses. Bye. I love you. Hello. Hello. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-b